Um, hey, we're going to start a new series today, I, I, but before we do that, I want to pray and uh, before we get into the word this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful morning. Thank you for our church community and what you're doing here. I'm so thankful you brought us together here in Blaine. Um, God, for your uh, your mission in Blaine, God, to reach people with the hope of Jesus. Thank you for calling us to be a, uh, be a community even more than that, a family, God. And Lord, as we talk about this idea God, not, not just an idea, but this call of being your holy people today. I pray that we could enter into that space, that conversation. Um, Lord, as, as you, I believe you have something for all of us this morning. And so, Lord, just speak through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about this idea of, of holiness in Scripture. Um, we're starting a, uh, a four-part four series called Set Apart, um, Living as God's Holy People. What does that mean? We haven't, in the, in the five years we have been at church, we haven't really looked at the idea of, of the holiness of God and, and what that means for us and how we reflect that. So um, we're going to take four weeks and, and wrestle with that idea in Scripture. Like, what is God actually setting us apart to be and to do. And so one, uh, one place where we see this identity of, of being God's holy people is in 1 Peter 2.9. This, this is the verse. This is God's identity for his church. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is who we are. This is who God's called us to be. We're, we're different. We're set apart. We're, 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 uh, we're made into a holy nation. And so this idea of being holy is a part of our identity. And so let's wrestle with that. What does it mean to be holy? What is God calling us to be? So when I was younger, I thought holiness was simply being a moral person. So I equated holiness with morality, which, which there's a connection there for sure. But that was, that was kind of what I understood. See, I read books when I was a kid, and raise your hand if you read this book when you were younger. Um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Anybody read that book? All right, I am not alone on this, this island. So I read the book. So when it came out, I bought it, like the day it came out, and I read the whole book because I was 13, and I wanted to know the rules. Can Christians date? No. No, they can't. Not teens. Not teens. That's what Josh Harris said. No, and he was 21 years old when he wrote this book, right? So he's telling, he, the, the wizened 21-year-old is telling the impressionable 13-year-old the rules, the roadmap for Christian dating. Um, that was the world I grew up in, guys. And you too, some of you. But it was, it was stuff like that, and it was growing up in church where I got this idea that holiness meant staying away from all the bad stuff. You know what I mean? Like holiness was, was kind of reduced to, well, if I can just stay away from sex, if I can just stay away from drugs, if I can just stay away from alcohol, bad language, and all that, that is being holy. And that is what I equated it to. And that was the goal of the Christian life, was to just stay away from all the bad things. Unfortunately, that idea of being holy um, and, and, and kind of putting it in this terms of staying away from everything is just too much to handle. And when I was 18, I, I burned out on my faith. I stopped trying. It was too much of a burden to bear. 
and God had to work to get me back into relationship with him because I walked away for a time. Just the burden of trying to be perfect, in a sense, was too much. And I don't know if you've been in a place like this, too. And before I go any further, I don't want, what I don't want to do is say this. Holiness does involve morality. It does. It does. God does want us, us to stay within the limits and boundaries that he's set. He's set that for our own good. So I'm not taking away from that. But what I'm saying is, what if God's vision for us as a holy people goes beyond keeping to a moral line? What if it goes beyond that? Because what I discovered growing up is, if your Christian experience is all about the things you can't do, that's not a good experience, and you're going to burn out. So here's the question that we're going to wrestle with today, and as we get into this series, we're going we're gonna to be kind of all over the bigger narrative of Scripture, um, but this is the one we're going to wrestle with today. Does holiness go beyond having good morals? That, that doesn't mean it doesn't include good morals. It sure does. But does it mean something bigger than that? Something greater? Are we ascribing to something greater than just being good people when we talk about being made holy? So last week, something really weird happened uh, in the world of sports. Sports fans? Any sports fans? few? So something really weird happened. So the the Minnesota Vikings beat the San Francisco 49ers. It's really weird. It's really strange. That's not the weird part. The weird part was the interview afterwards. The, the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings is a guy named Kirk Cousins. And he was talking about why they won. And he, he I'm not, no joke, you can look this up, you can fact check me. He gave credit to them playing a song before they went out onto the field that inspired them to win. Does anybody know what that song was? No? no. Really good guess. That'd be the Kansas City Chiefs, actually. Uh, yeah, it was Creed. It was the song Higher. Anybody know that song? Can you take me higher? Yes. It was that song. So that song came out when I was 15. So you can see the epic uh, teenager, teenager years I had. I kissed dating goodbye. And then that song comes out when I'm 15. Um, it's a great song. It's a great song. I, I love it. It's classic. And I'm hearing it everywhere today, which is really, really funny. It, like Creed's making a comeback after 27 years. It's time to come back. <laughs> Oh, it's classic. It's classic rock. Yeah, it's classic rock. Yeah, push, push some of those. Led Zeppelin fans are like, I'm in trouble uh, if, if Creed is classic rock. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about that. And Creed is one of those bands that like you don't know if they're Christian or not, right? They're like, could it be about God? Can you take me higher to a place where blind men see? You know, you can imagine how this is just, hey, let's go to a, a different level. You can imagine a football team getting behind this song. Hey, we're, we're going to ascend to a higher level. But let's, assume, let's assume this song. <laughs> let's assume this song. Can you take me higher to a place where blind men see? Can you take me higher to a place with golden streets? Uh, let's assume that this song is, is about God. All right. I think it speaks to something 
in all of us. Think about why you signed up to be a Christian. Did you sign up to be a Christian to stay the same? No. Did you sign up to be a Christian to, to, to not be touched by God, to not see God, to not experience God at a, at a higher level? I think all of us internally, we want that transcendent, that deep experience of God. We want, we want to be taken to a higher place where we can actually see God at work, see God working in our lives, be transformed into somebody that we aren't. We come to God with all our deficiencies, our failures, our brokenness, and we are asking, begging to be transformed. And so today, as we, as we think about this idea, we're going to look at a psalm that talks about ascending and talks about ascending to see the glory of God. And what I hope to do in this message is to paint a picture of what we're actually after, that we're not after towing a line, but we're after the living God. So we're going to be in Psalm 24 today. And this psalm is written by David. Uh, many people think that this psalm refers to when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into Jerusalem. Um, the Ark of the Covenant is, uh, it, is basically symbolized the presence of God, the holiness of God uh, for the people of Israel. And so it was, it was really important, and it was lost for a long time. It was lost in the hands of the Philistines. And so this moment is when it's being brought back into Jerusalem. If you understand the geography of Jerusalem, you know it's on a hill. It's on a mountain. So that the, the Ark of the Covenant would actually have to go back up into the city. And so that this is the image that we have. This is why, this is what most people think David had in mind when he was writing Psalm 24, if you have your Bibles. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to read the first half, and we'll pause. We're going to read from verses 1 to 6. And this is what it says. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas, and he established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. So in this passage, David describes a unique God. A God who has created everything, who, uh, who founded the world on the seas, who established the land on the water. He made everything in the world. He made everything we stand on, every resource we have comes from God. This God is holy, meaning he is uniquely other. He is unlike anything else uh, that we can imagine. And we have of God sitting above his creation like, like on top of a mountain. God is sitting above. This is the, what we see in Psalm 24 is this. God is holy and above his people. God exists above us. We don't pull God down and make him into what 
we want him to be. God is above us. God is holy. And so what we see in scripture is that we were once a part of God's holy ecosystem in the Garden of Eden. He created us to be on that plane with him in complete relationship, no separation. And then in the Garden of Eden, if you read Genesis, uh, we see in the story of Adam and Eve and the temptation and eating the apple and choosing to sin that that, that um, connectedness was broken. And we were brought into a, a separateness from God. We were separated from God. Sin brought a curse on the earth and brought separation between us and God. It lowered us from, from God's, God's holiness. And if you talk to Hebrew scholars, they say the word holy, it means to be separate from the ordinary or profane. So to be holy means to be separate from the ordinary or profane. So you have a holy God and an ordinary people. All of a sudden, we lost the, the, the glory of God and, and we became, in real, uh, real scriptural terms, ordinary, profane, no connection to God. Everything connected to God is holy. Everything on this earth disconnected from God is ordinary. So our sin, our sin, keeps us from God. Whether, we're, uh, whether we've um, never been a Christian or been a Christian for a long time, it's our sin that gets in the way uh, of our relationship with God. It creates a rift. It creates separation. And everything in this world would love to keep you focused on living an ordinary life separate from God. Uh, that, to live self-centered, to live focused right here, right now, on your comfort. See, the world worships what is ordinary, the ordinary things of this world. It could be something as simple as nature. Worshiping nature and not the creator of nature is idolatry. It's, it's, uh, it's a focus on the ordinary. Um, worshiping money is idolatry. Anything we worship that's not God is idolatry because anything separate from God isn't holy. If we separate our sexuality from God, it becomes, becomes ordinary and profane. God has a specific will um, for, for sex. He created it to be a beautiful expression of love in marriage between a man and a woman. But when we take that and, and, and we take it down here, we, we make it ordinary. We make it profane. So what does Psalm 24 say? It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. The only ones who can, who can ascend the mountain, who can climb the mountain, have pure hands and a clean heart. So the question is, how do we get to that place? where we have clean hands and a pure heart. It's not through trying harder. It's not through trying harder. The problem that we have to face is we're stuck in the ordinary when God is calling us, calling us to a greater life, a life full of his glory. And it's so easy for us to get stuck in the valley and lose our view of the mountain. And that's whether you've believed in Christ for years, you can get stuck in the ordinary a religious routine, a religious ordinary. 
Or you can have never trusted Christ and just lived in, in the ordinary. God calls us to this greater life. It's waiting there for all of us. God's in, to, to go with this image, God's in the mountain, and we're in the valley. Right? And, and there's evil in the valley, and we see it all the time. I mean, just, just turn on the news. You'll see there is evil in the valley. Right? There's evil in the valley. God didn't t intend for us to live our lives in the darkness of the valley. That's why in 1 Peter 2, it says God wants to pull us into his, his wonderful light. God didn't intend for us to be stuck in cycles of sin that we can't break out of. God intended for us to be connected to him and to walk with him in higher places. In the Old Testament, God's people's sin was constantly in front of their faces. Uh, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad I'm on this side of, of Jesus. I'm glad I'm not living in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Um, because often they would have to go to the temple and sacrifice animals, literally kill animals on the altar as a reminder of their sin, as a reminder of their se separateness, as a reminder of the destructive nature of their sin. Through God's grace, he allowed the blood of that animal to atone for their sin. But ultimately, no matter how many animals they killed, they'd be back. They'd be back. They couldn't fix it. They couldn't fix themselves. And we can't fix ourselves either. In the case of these sacrifices, it got to a point where God got sick of it. Because while they would make these sacrifices, their hearts wouldn't really be in the sacrifices. They would make their sacrifice, and they'd go back to the ordinary life. I was struck by the start of Isaiah. Isaiah is like, you know, more than 60 chapters in the, in the Old Testament, a huge book of prophecy, but it begins with God getting sick of sacrifice and a return to the ordinary. This is what God says in Isaiah 1.13. He says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. It's uh, some strong words. But when we reduce our existence with God to managing our sin and just getting in a religious routine, God doesn't like it. That's not God's image of what our Christian life should be about. When our Christian existence is reduced to managing our own sin, we become a burden to God. That's not what God wants us. God wants us to live for something higher. And so this is what I'm saying as it relates to today, is that Sunday is not a sacrifice. Sunday is worship. That when we come to church on Sunday, it's not to make up for anything we did during the week. It's because we want to worship the living God. It's because we want to come together as God's holy people and worship him and, and see his glory together. Um, God's not okay with this system where we do what we want all week and then, and then come here on Sunday to clean up. That's not what God wants. God wants something a lot deeper than that. God wants something a lot deeper than that. So God doesn't leave his people in a place where he's uh, fed up. <laughs> He makes a way. God always makes a way. And this is what he says in Isaiah 1.16. He says, 
Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So God's vision here of holiness is a purified people, not just focusing on that they're clean, but focusing on the purposes of God. God purifies his people so that we can live into his purpose, the purpose that he has for us. They're not, they're not focused on themselves. They're focused on the marginalized. They're focused on the oppressed. They're, they're fostering and adopting orphans. They're loving on widows in their neighborhoods. They're finding meaning in the greater purpose of God. They're finding their life, their vocation, the, the work of their hands is for the glory of God. That's what they're focused on. When it comes to their sin, their shame, their separateness, they have no ability to make themselves clean. God has to do that. They don't become holy by trying. Because if you, if you try to be holy by trying, that's called self-righteousness. And unfortunately, God doesn't like that either. <laughs> you can never do enough to make yourself clean. God's the only one who can do it. So we get another image here in this, in this chapter. We get the image of a table. We get the image of God inviting his people to sit with him at a table and with this invitation. Come now. Let us settle the matter. I don't want to leave you in a separate state. I don't want to leave you distant from me. I don't want to leave you disconnected. I don't want to leave you struggling. Let, let's settle it. Find forgiveness. Our Christian life starts with forgiveness. When we receive the grace of God in our lives. And guess what? You don't just need that forgiveness once. You need that forgiveness every day. So Jesus... Jesus invites us to settle the matter. God invites us to a table to settle uh, the, the, the shame, the sin, not to live in it, not to manage it, to settle it, to be done. That means we have debts to God that, that we can't even begin to measure. But in Christ, God wants to meet those debts. He wants to erase them so that we can live not managing our sin, but live into the purposes of God, live into the good stuff that God has for us. And we can do that because Jesus settled everything at the cross. It's worth saying every Sunday, all of your sin was settled at the cross. That Jesus was always God's solution for pulling you out of the ordinary life and into his presence. So, ascending the hill of the Lord, ascending and experiencing the glory of God, it only happens when we come to the table with Jesus. When we sit across from him, when, we, when we're real with him. When we're real with him. And, and this whole, it, uh, our identity as holy people, it's all about Jesus. It starts with Jesus, it continues with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. It doesn't start with Jesus and end with all your good works. It starts with Jesus, it continues with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. So what we need to do is to come to the table with Jesus. Let God settle the matter. Settle those things. 
to confess our sin, to turn from it, and follow Jesus. When you follow Jesus, your ordinary self dies, and a new creation rises. A person made holy, not like you're trying to attain it. No, God calls you holy because of Christ. Look what it says in Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is our picture of holiness. It's nothing we've done. We died. That's what we had to do. We had to die. We had to die to ourselves, die, die to the earthly things, and then be risen with Christ. And, and where, does, where does Paul tell us to, or in this, uh, in this scripture, where does Paul tell us to put our gaze? On the things above, where God is. Like, think about what God's doing, what he has for us. Think about his glory. Get caught up with God. God doesn't want our eyes on the ordinary. God wants our eyes on the extraordinary. The holy God. So, friends, if we don't have a vision for a greater experience with God, we're going to burn out in our faith. And that's the warning, is, is if our lives of faith are just about managing our sin or, or, or getting stuck in a religious routine, we're going to burn out. We need this greater vision. We need the vision that Psalm 24 gives us. David had a greater vision. David's whole goal was to be close to God. That was his whole life goal. If I could just be about, if I could just be close to God's heart, if I could just know God more. And that's why David is honored in Scripture, even though he was pretty messed up. He was honored. David wanted to experience the glory of God. So here's the second half of Psalm 24. Here's the vision that David has. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. He just wanted to get, see the glory of God. He wanted the king of glory, the, the, the might of God to enter into his space. King of glory, come in. What if every breath of our lives was wanting to see the glory of God at work? Wanting to see the glory of God in our own lives and in our community? And that would be beautiful. And then what if we decided, I don't want to do anything else but that. I want my sole focus on the glory of God here in my own life, here in my community, in my work, in my neighborhood. Then we, would, we wouldn't want to do anything to separate ourselves from that. Right? We wouldn't want to do anything to separate ourselves from the glory of God because we would just want it to, to, to uh, continue. So David wants to let the king of glory in, and that's, that's what it is. We receive the king of glory. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. That was the goal. That was the vision. 
And so this is, this is my point today, my main point, that our call to holiness is ultimately living to see and experience the King of glory, the King of glory in your life, to have moments in your life where like, man, God showed up, and it was powerful, and he's moving, and he's moving in our community, and he's moving in this world, and it's absolutely powerful, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And that is this vision of a holy God, a glorious God at work in our lives. And so what do we need to open up to let the king of glory in? Because Paul says we're the temple of God. We're the temple. We've got to open up ourselves so the king of glory can, can come in here. Right? The Holy Spirit. That, we can, that, that God himself can live with us. When Jesus died, the curtain separating the, the, the holy place, the holy of holies, and the rest of, of humanity was severed. And now God's presence doesn't exist in a box. It exists right here in our hearts. In our hearts. It's right there. It's transforming us. Christ has made you his own. He's made you holy because his presence dwells right here. If you believe. And because of that, you can go to the higher places with God. Because he's with you. He's with you. Derek Kidner, who's a theologian, he speaks to this image of ascending the mountain of God. And, and this is what he says about it. He says, To ascend presents a fine picture of worship. It is to make a deliberate quest, to mount to a vantage point, to converge with other seekers, and finally stand before the throne. What I like about this is it speaks to our lives as Christians as a journey, not as a solo journey, but as a collective journey. That God's presence lives in you and you and me, and we're on this journey where one day we will stand before the throne of God. We're on a journey towards God, with God. Towards the throne room of God. And we're not worthy to stand there on our own account. We're worthy because Christ made us worthy. Because Christ made us worthy. And so, if we're on a journey, my hope for you is that every year your worship gets richer. Every year your worship gets deeper. Every year, your experience of God becomes more and more beautiful. And there's going to be pain mixed in there, and there's going to be difficulty. But my prayer for you is that every year, you would be able to see the glory of God at a new level and a new way, working on you so that you're becoming more and more like Christ, who's made you holy. And the great news is we get to go on this journey together. We get to go on this journey together. And I'll say this, this journey is not about perfection. One of the slogans I love for, that CTK's had for years is no perfect people allowed. Uh, we don't want to be a community of people that get together and act holy. That's, that's uh-uh, no. We're, we're not getting together to act holy. We've all got our issues and stuff, and, and we all got things we're working on. But we are on a journey. And if you're with us, you are on a journey becoming more like Christ together. And I think that's beautiful. And so um, God is going to do a refining work here and in your life. The ultimate, the ultimate point of the journey is simply just to know God, to know him more. 
It's not to self-actualize. It's not to become your best self because Jesus did some stuff. It's just to know Jesus. And it's just to be, become more like Jesus because you're hanging out with him, because you know him more. And to see God at work in your community. God wants to do powerful things through you individually, but he also wants to do powerful things in us as a community. You know, we exist as a church not for ourselves, but for each other. You know, God brings us together because we all have something to offer. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says we, we've all been given something from the Spirit for the common good. We all have a part to play. And so that's another grace of God is that as he changes us, he gives us something to offer. And he gives us, he gives us something for the community that we use in humility, whether it's serving, generosity, teaching, um, whatever it might be. God has a gift. Whether you pray, whether you're just compelled to pray and seek the presence of God, um, God has given you something. So as we wrap up today, I want to go back to these two images. The mountain of God and the table. The mountain of God and the table. Before we ascend the mountain of God, we start by meeting God at the table. And sometimes we got to go to the table a lot, <laughs> and that's okay. God does a lot of work with us at the table, but his grace runs deep. But today I want to invite you, as we talk about this idea uh, uh, of living into this holy calling of God, let's start at the table. What does God want to do this morning at the table? Is there something that God is stirring in your heart? Is there reconciliation that needs to happen? You know, just like our sin broke our connection with God, our sin uh, against other people breaks our connection with them. And part of God's gospel work is reconciliation. Actually, it's most of God's work, is restored relationship. And that's not just vertical, that's also horizontal. So if there's a name that God puts in your heart, maybe this is, this is the week that you reach out and seek restoration. If there's something that's just been hidden for a long time, that's been eating at you, that, that causes shame, maybe God wants you to bring that out this morning. Confess to him, confess to a fellow believer, a trusted friend, or, or, or to a pastor. Maybe it's just simply, God, I, I haven't been living into the purpose that you have. I really haven't been loving my neighbors. I really haven't been loving my coworkers or, or, or my kids or my spouse. Maybe that's the place where God wants to meet you this morning. Hey, come, let's settle the matter. Let's start again. But that's what I want to do this morning as we, as we close. Let's just remember what Psalm 24 says. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O oh God of Jacob. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and help us to open our hands. God, help us to come to the table with you. Lord, we, all we can bring to the table 
is our brokenness, is our humanity, is our failure. But man, you meet us there with grace. You meet us there in your love. You meet us there, God, so that we can know you. God, you desperately want to give us grace, to meet us, to, to make us clean, God, to wash us clean. The only way that we can experience that is, is through Jesus. So Jesus, I pray you just meet us wherever we are at the table this morning. Remind us of your mercy. Remind us of your grace, God. Lord, Spirit, speak to our hearts. Lord, bring us to a place. Wash our hands and hearts, God, so that we might ascend to where you are, so that we might experience the King of glory in our lives. Lord, give us a taste, God, of your glory. Give us a taste, God, of what you want to do, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to close in worship this morning. Um, so why don't we stand together? After worship, um, there's going to be food ready to go. Please grab some food, uh, get your family together, and then come right back into this room, and, and we're going to meet. So.